<coughs> For our meditation this evening, would you turn with me to the book of Psalms, and Psalm 25, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. The book of Psalms, Psalm 25, and verses 1 through 7. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day long. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses. For they have ever, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake. O Lord. The burden of the psalmist can be quite easily summed up as a theme for our meditation tonight. Remember. Remember this. Don't remember that. This simple theme this evening from Psalm 25. It's not obvious from the English translations that's in front of us the framework of this psalm. But every single verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you're familiar with the structure of Psalm 119, it's divided into sections. And each one of these sections, every line, every verse begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And as you go from section to section, so you change from one Hebrew letter to the next. A very definite structure in Psalm 119 and a very similar structure is here given us in Psalm 25. It takes time to do that and it takes very much the selection of the psalmist to think of what he wants to say as well as how he's going to say it. So therefore, the focus that he's giving us it's quite deliberate. It's intense to him. It's a concern of him that he wants to share with us and bring to our notice and our attention by that structure that he now imposes on this psalm given to us. Things that trouble him. Things that are a burden to him. What then is the focus? What matters to him that he takes that time and adopts that stratagem in this revelation. What are the circumstances of the psalmist to explain the intense words and the heavy passion that he speaks of in this psalm? What has he to deal with? The problem that he's got to deal with 
It's not a problem that's out there round about him. The problem that we've got to deal with is not a problem that's out there round about ourselves. The most intense battle that he faces that we've got to engage in is the battle often within our own soul. It's not out there. It's in here. That's what the psalmist is talking about. This psalm is a psalm that we might best describe as a psalm of later years of the Christian's life. Not exclusively, but mainly. He's looking back over the life and the way he's lived. He's looking back over all the journey he's been through, the different experiences of life, and he's simply saying to the Lord, don't remember the sins of my youth. Don't remember my past years. That is his concern. It's a concern that finds an echo with you and me so often and so easily. He, we, we're all aware of rash and immature younger days. Events of long, long ago. But events which follow us right down till now. Sin casts a long shadow. It follows us down through the years. Our memories, yes, our memories are a great gift. And so often they need to be stimulated to be effective. But there are some parts of our memory that we prefer to leave alone. Not the devil. That's the very areas he goes fishing in. He will take something out of the cupboard of our life and the diary we've created and he'll dust it down. This is what you've done. That's where you went. This is what you said. And he'll do it way back, spooling back the years, way back through our life to find something appropriate that he's going to use against us. Dusting down the days and years of our life. Drawing us back to the foolishness of our youth. Seeking to spoil our joy. Seeking to ruin our effectiveness. Seeking to dishonor the Lord. He, we, we can recall with shame, even with a blush, what we once did before we were Christian. And even in the early days of our Christian life, even then, in the sunray days, in the sunrise days, the way in which we once carried ourselves the way we once behaved, the immaturity, the ignorance, 
that we had when we did these things. But this is not limited just simply to the sunrise days of our Christian life, because we all know that even in our sunset days, there are faults there that come to visit us because of complacency, because of overconfidence, because of the journey we've been on. So all of us, we can all sit with David and we can all share with him what he says to us here. Troubled as he was, Troubled as we can be with things of long ago. And right at the very beginning, before we go any further into the thinking and the experience of David, I want to leave a comforting thought with you, a corrective we can use in that kind of situation. <coughs> Psalm 18, verse 35 says, Thy gentleness hath made me great. That's a very precious experience to the Lord's people. The Lord is interested in his own and he's invested time and effort and commitment in every member of his family. The Lord comes right down where David is sitting. The Lord comes right down beside where you're sitting. And he's involved in our life. He's brought us through so many difficulties, threats, experiences. We can look back and we can see and trace out the hand of Almighty God resting on the path of our life. Coming from Fort William, we always were conscious of Ben Nevis behind us. And whenever you go up the path of Ben Nevis, there's always the curve and the corner that you turn. And there's often a resting place just at that point. And you can stop at many's a point up the path of the Ben. And you can look back. And you can see, oh man, look at the danger at that point. And, he, and we came through it. Look at that difficult part of the path. And we've survived. And the same kind of reflection and perspective is given to the Christian. We can look back and we can see, yes, that was a dangerous point in my Christian journey. And God came and brought me through it safely. That was a time of testing. And so it can go on in our life where we can look back and mark down in our diary very carefully. Thy gentleness hath made me great. And even, and even through the foolish moments of our own making, a mess is still a mess, but it's not as bad as it could be. Not the judgment, but the gentleness of God has turned this and that and the other into a great blessing for our souls. We discover, as David is going to tell us time and again, of the goodness, the mercy, the loving kindness of God. 
that visited him, visited us in our path and our journey on the Christian life. So how are we going to look at it tonight? Well, first of all, I want us to look at the longing for the Lord. The longing for the Lord which he has. Then I want us to look at the understanding he looks for from the Lord. And then thirdly, the prayer that he offers to the Lord. Longing for the Lord, understanding from the Lord, his prayer to the Lord. Rewind button. Let's take the first of these. His longing for the Lord. What does he say to us in the very first verse? Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Whatever concern he's coming through, whatever his difficulties, the best that he can do and we can do is he lifts his soul up to God and he waits upon God with expectation. The Lord is the source of all his delight. The one source of satisfaction he's had along the path of his journey. All the days that he's followed the Lord is satisfaction and joy from the God and his hand. And he's asking, Lord, you've done it in the past. Do it now in the present for me. There's no one else I can go to. There's nowhere else I would rather be. There's nowhere else I want to be found. There's nowhere else I can experience the commitment and the purpose as walking in the ways of my God and seeking always his company with me. Yes, the longing he has for the Lord. The longing that we have when we're going through difficulties, whatever be their complexion or their color or their duration. But he goes on and he says something else about this longing for the Lord. We know it. What does he say in verse 2? Yes, he's got this sublime, sublime blessing. God is only delight. But he says, oh my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. On the field of spiritual battle, fighting as he is, facing this trouble or whatever complex situation it might be, he is conscious of something else in operation. He's conscious of the enemy seeking to overwhelm him. There is here in verse 2 a vital spiritual truth and experience at risk. Simply can put it like this. Here is a man, you and me, David. Here is a man who's trusting in the Lord, relying utterly on the Lord. Will the Lord abandon him? Will the Lord be ashamed of him? Will the enemy triumph over me in this particular instance and at this particular time? What will other people say and think about the Lord in things I'm going through? A vital spiritual truth is at risk. 
He goes on from the personal in verse 2. That's what he says. Don't let them triumph over me. The very personal thing. Because in verse 3, he spreads it out. And he sets out very simply, Yea, let none. That's an all-embracive thing. Let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. What he's simply saying is this. The reputation of God is on the line here. The reputation of God is on the line here. How is the Lord going to cope? How am I going to cope with spiritual problems? If there is no deliverer, if there is no help, the enemy will laugh and laugh and laugh. So God's reputation is at risk. David, he's in a dire situation. He's aware of the intense pressure. He's aware of the severe consequences. And he cuts through all of that. And he looks to and he longs for the Lord for himself. I lift my soul to thee. We're going to close by seeing at the end from Psalm 43. What does Psalm 43 say to us? The Lord is my chiefest joy. That's all that he's concerned about. Lifting his soul to God to that experience that afresh. Yes. Sometimes it's difficult, it's hard to lift our soul to God like this. Sometimes it's heavy with a burden, a spiritual burden. Sometimes the circumstances around us are developing at a pace that we cannot keep up with. Things are changing at a moment, a moment and a moment. There's perhaps other people round about us who need help. And everything piles in upon us and we're at our wit's end. In such extreme circumstances then, he lifts his soul to God. And in the exercise of faith, with both his hands, he lays hold upon his God. He grasps God in a very familiar way that he's done so often in the past. And he says, Lord, don't forsake me at this time. Lord, don't let the enemy triumph over me. He says it there in verse 2, but he repeats it in verse 20. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. He's nailed his colours to the mast. He's made plain where his confidence lies. It's not a blind whistling in the dark. It's not a baseless plea. It's a bold plea. Based upon the promises that God has given. And based upon his past experiences at God's hand. Putting it again just in a way that we can all identify with. God has a track record. God has a track record in his dealings with every one of his children. He's never late. He's never inconsistent. He's never reluctant to bless them. 
the adjectives that are used are quite the contrary. What does he say? The Lord sets my feet in a large place. God never measures out grudgingly the blessings to his people. But he always devotes them and gives them liberally to his people. That's the track record of God's dealings with you and me. If we believe and trust in him. And that track record is consistent with his character. And with the covenant he's made, never letting us down. He then is waiting upon the Lord with expectation. He might be in a similar situation as he's been in the past. And he's asking the Lord, consistent with that track record, Lord, you blessed me in the past. Lift upon me now the light of your countenance as you once did before. Is that not a prayer we've all used at some time? Longing for the Lord to come in, to break into our circumstances. To intervene and to help us in some specific way. We've never been disappointed in the past. So we're encouraged to ask him to do the same again now. The psalmist. Just like he does, just like we do. We know the Lord our God in a very personal way. A relationship which he has set up. He says, Oh my God. Verse 2, Oh my God. He has set up this covenant relationship. God has entered into the relationship with David. He who is almighty God is his God. With all that that means. There is the commitment of heaven. There are the commitments of the resources of God. There are all of the blessings of heaven in store. Extended. Made available. To every one of his believing people. My God. Simply two words that have to be unpacked by you and me. Day after day. To put flesh and blood upon that skeleton. Fill them out. Fill them out with God's dealing with you in the past. Look again at this track record. Flick back through your spiritual diary to find the times when you were there and in that situation and God broke in to help you. He's kept you safe. Even when you were in a mess up to your eyebrows. A situation and a mess of our own making. He has delivered us from dangers and surprising of ways. He's protected us when danger threatened our every step. Put all of these things together as you've gathered them out of the pages of your diary. And what do you get? You get a rich memory of the loving kindness and the goodness and the commitment and the mercies of God. Psalm 23 Goodness and mercy shall, has followed me all the days of my life. I often say it. You've heard it maybe from other people. I'll repeat it again. That's altogether a tame translation of what the original says. Goodness and mercy following me. 
what it says, goodness and mercy chasing after me, hounding me down, coming after me with that determination and purpose to bestow these very things upon me. That's the kind of commitment that God has made and given to his people, hunting us down with goodness and mercy day after day. So therefore the psalmist is remembering all of these things. He comes with a weight upon his soul and he wants something very special from God. He wants to hear, to know again the sweet and precious promises and words of forgiveness applied to the soul. Verse 18. Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. He can recall with passion God's dealing with him and he holds his soul up again that God would wash him. God would cover him. God would forgive him. The longing that he has for the Lord. But let's move on. Because the second thing that I said we have here is the understanding from the Lord. Verses 4 and 5. Show me thy ways, teach me thy paths, lead me in thy truth, and so on. What have we reached so far? David has been setting out for us what he knows, what we know. The path that he's travelled and the experiences that he's had along that path. And of these things, he's sure and persuaded and convinced. Yes, this is God's dealing with me. I know God in this way. But. But I don't know everything. I don't understand all that's happening to me. In these dark nights... Sometimes we find, well, what are we going to do? And we get a jigsaw, pour it out on the table. And when you do that, put the box and the lid away. Don't look at the picture. But just pick up one single piece of the jigsaw. One single event from your life. And you say of this piece, well, where does this fit in? Where does this fit into the jigsaw? And the same, you pick on something in your own life that's come your way and you say, where does this fit in to my life and God's dealings with me? We cannot make sense of the picture. We cannot make sense of ourselves. Suddenly, surprisingly, spiritually, something breaks in. We need, David wanted Something of a better understanding of what God is doing with him and in him. That's why he says it, verse 4, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. Three very simple thoughts, and they are all linked together. If I can use sometimes... You've got a binocular or a telescope and it gives you the faraway picture but it gives you a fairly broad 
image of what that faraway picture is. And then you narrow the focus down and it becomes more constricted and more detailed. And you go down further and it becomes an even smaller picture, but there's more detail shown in it. That's what's happening here. Because he says, first of all, show me the full picture. Show me thy ways. There's the picture of all the different paths that the Lord might use in dealing with his people. Show me them all. And then he narrows them down and he finds one of these paths with his name on it. Teach me the ways. Yes, the intricate connections and relationship between all of the things in my life. The bits and pieces that are mine. How do they work together? And then the third thing is, not only show me thy ways, not only teach me, but Lord, lead me in the truth. He says, He's getting down to the nitty-gritty of life and living with all of the pressures and all of the troubles and all of the influences that he's got to cope with. And he's asking, Lord, walk with me through all of these experiences of life and explain them and let me know, let me understand why they're there. Explain them to me, O oh Lord. Yes, what are the broad principles at work? What are the ways God deals with his people? That's what he's looking for. So what are they? God is a holy God, an upright God, God of purity, righteousness, a faithful God, a transparent God of integrity. These and many, many other are the qualities that we can take to ourselves and express to describe our God. And everything that God does with you and me reflect these same qualities. And they are also the qualities at work in God's dealings with his people. Because verse 5, at the end of verse 5, explains it all. Lead me in thy truth, teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. That's the key that opens so much for us here. The big picture. God is saving his people. He's saving them and he's going to bring them to be with himself. And whatever is necessary, whatever is needed to bring that target into focus and to its fullness, whatever is necessary, that's what God is going to do in the life of David and yours and mine. It's the work of a lifetime to effect a change, to bring about a full conformity to the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be like him. And sometimes to achieve that requires some remarkable, dramatic experiences and events coming into your life and mine. There is no area, there is no area whatsoever that is untouched by that target of the Lord and his purposes for his people. You go into a hotel, maybe I'm showing age, but go back a few years and you'll find behind the reception desk 
a whole lot of pigeonholes with every room and a key and a message, whatever is required for the person. Sometimes we set out our life in the same kind of pigeonholes. Well, that's what I do when I go to school, or that's what I do when I go to work. And this is what my life is like when I'm at home, and this is what I'm like when I go off for my recreation or whatever it is. This is what I do on a Wednesday night, and this is what I do on a Sunday. And right at the very end of all of that, there's a box marked private, hands off. We keep a little bit back for ourselves. You can't do that with God. There is no private area. There's no area of our life that's not affected, not challenged, not influenced. There's no such thing as pigeonholes in the Christian's life. We lay the whole of our life before the cross of Calvary and at the feet of our Saviour. Where he goes, what he does, and when he does it, surprises us, might even shake us. But we've got to accept what he does because he's chasing after a target for you and for me and for David of conformity to his son and preparation for his presence. He might use scripture. He might use providences. Something is said in a very innocent conversation that suddenly comes home to us, challenging the what we've been thinking of, where we've been going, or what we've been doing. Sometimes setbacks, disasters even, all of them with the same end. And he's asking, Lord, give me understanding in the way all these things mesh together. Can you think of the book of Daniel chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar, he was a man that had great blessings underneath the hands of God. And he went out one day onto the balcony and he looks and he says, oh, all this is mine. And immediately he was struck down. And he was consigned to go out into the field and live as the ox with the dew of heaven upon him. His hair grew, his claws, his fingernails grew. And he was out there until he learned. Daniel chapter 4, 33 and 34. Until he learned that God in heaven is the one that did all these things for him. Nothing we can say is too extreme. Nothing also is too long. Go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and there the Lord is speaking to his people and he says, I took you into the wilderness and you went into the wilderness to learn that man does not live by bread alone. There was a dramatic spiritual work to be done in God's people. How long did it take? Forty years. 40 years to remove what was wrong with them and to bring them to the mold that he wanted for them. No extreme is too extreme. No time is too long. That's what he's asking for. An understanding of these things. I want to understand the picture I want to understand the principles at work. I want to understand the pages of my diary so that I might better understand what God is doing, that I might learn 
and that I may make progress along that path. Yes, the prayer, the desire he has, understanding of God's ways of dealing with him, the understanding of God's dealings with us. His longing for the Lord, his understanding from the Lord. And then we come, last few verses 6 and 7, to his prayer to the Lord. Yes, this is his desire that he wants understanding of the Lord's dealings with him. And there's the pursuit of holiness. And there's the pursuit of consistency of character with the Lord. There's all of that preparation for the place and the person in heaven and that process of preparation inevitably brings home to David as it brings home to us that there's sin accumulated in his life that has to be addressed and to be dealt with the concern rises within him in here of things that need to be addressed and so his prayer comes with three very simple petitions First of all, in verse 6, he says, Remember, Lord, thy tender mercies, loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. That steadfast, that unwavering, that faithful love the Lord had for his people through the years of old. That's the first prayer that he has. Lord, that's the way you dealt with me long ago. In a similar circumstance. That's the Lord what you've done for me. When I was in a mess of my own making. That's what you did for me. In so many different experiences. Along the path of life. Lord. Remember that gentleness. Remember that loving kindness. Remember these. Tender mercies. There's a boldness. A boldness in the words of this psalmist reminding God of the things of the past the mercy and the loving kindness of God shown to him and he's pleading do it again Lord do it again first element of his prayer asking that the Lord would remember the past dealings with him but then he goes on and he speaks in verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. Don't remember the sins of my youth. The enemy is doing that. The enemy is stirring the pot. Constantly remind him of what he once was, where he went and what he did. How much ammunition we've given to the devil to shoot back at us because of the way in which we lived like that. The devil stirring up his past life. Not slow. He's not slow at showing to us what that means. Making it and painting it in its worst possible light. Burnt deeply upon our soul. Vividly filling and flooding our thinking. Spoiling our whole day. From the time we put our head on the pillow at night and closed our eyes... That's what we've been thinking about at this particular time. When we open our eyes in the morning, 
What is it that's there on the pillow beside us still? A reminder of what once we did. That's the way the devil will work at us. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, don't remember. Going through this psalmist, we have verse 11. He tells us, for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it's great. He feels swamped. Verse 16, he feels isolated. I am desolate and afflicted. He's, verse 17, he speaks and he says, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring me out of my distresses. They're magnified before him. We can easily find the words and we can fill them with our own experience, what he's sharing with us. And he's asking God, don't remember them. We've got to be very careful what we say here next. God does not forget. God does not forget. Forgetting is an indication of fragility, limitation, weakness. None of that applies to God. What then does it mean here? The amazing truth is this. That God deliberately makes choice not to remember at all. God deliberately chooses an action. I am not going to remember the sins of these people. That's the amazing thing about our God. Not that he forgets. Far more. God does not remember. He does not recall. He does not take them back to his mind. He deliberately does not remember. So that's what the psalmist is saying. And then one third petition. In verse, the end of that verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy... Remember thou me. Think of what the enemy is doing to me. Think of what's happening to them. Think of all the things that the enemy is planning against him. And he's asking God simply, Lord, remember me. Isaiah 49 verse 16 says that our names are graven on the palms of his hand. John 10, 28, Jesus says, nobody, but nobody is going to pluck them out of my hand. These are the assurances that God gives to his people to encourage us along the way. And yet, sometimes in the heat of battle, when we're fighting against the things that he's sharing with us, sometimes it's not enough to possess the facts and the promises. Sometimes we ask the Lord that we might know the reality of it in his presence with us. Think on me. Remember me. Visit me. That's what he's speaking of. Because that's what he needs for what he's going through. The psalmist here is structured. The psalmist sets it out for us. He's gathering together very simply and very 
plainly what he's feeling, the trouble he's going through because of not understanding what God is doing for him and with him. The way in which the devil exploits it. Oh, look at what it means to be a Christian. Look at the troubles he's going through. That's exploited against David. can be against us. And he wants to share it with us in a very simple way that we will remember by putting it down with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I'm not ashamed. Why? Because in prayer he holds the character of his God, a covenant-keeping God, a God who settled resolve and who settled attitude is to deal with his people with loving kindness, mercy, and tender compassion. David knows his God. He knows his God from times past. And so now in severe trials, all he does is turn to his God and holds his soul up and asks and seeks God's strength. God's peace, pardon, but especially his presence to carry him through what he is experiencing. And the challenge of everything we've said today and tonight, do we know God in that way as David knew him? And have we got the same confidence? Yes, life is going to be hard. Difficult, wrestling against things just like David shares with us here. But in it all, do we have the same confidence as David? My God, the God in whom I trust, is a God of might, a covenant-keeping God, a God of loving kindness and of mercy and tender compassion I've known in the past. And even now, I hold my soul up to him for his blessing in my time of need. Let us pray. Gracious Lord and God, we bring our own life and our own experiences before thyself and underneath thy scrutiny, underneath the light of thy word, and pray, Lord, that thou wouldst give to us just a little bit more of a measure of understanding. Help us, Lord, to read and to realize the pursuit of holiness and of likeness and of purity, which thou dost pursue relentlessly in the character of thine own children. And make us, Lord, to close in gladly with such a desire. Lord, lead us. And in leading us, be with us. And may we delight our soul in thyself alone, as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I indicated there, we close by singing from Psalm 43. Psalm 43 and verse 3 to verse 5, the four stanzas at the end of this psalm. O send thy light forth and thy truth. Let them be guides to me, and bring me to thine holy hill, even where thy dwellings be. 
Then will I to God's altar go, to God my chiefest joy. Yea, God, my God, thy name to praise, my harp I will employ. Why art thou then cast down, my soul? What should discourage thee? And why with vexing thoughts art thou disquietened in me? Still trust in God for him to praise. Good cause I yet shall have. He of my countenance is the health. My God that doth me save. <coughs> Psalm 43 at verse 3. O send thy life forth and thy truth. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon and abide with you all. Amen.